Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to another episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guest, well, she's an author, she's a TV presenter, she's a columnist, and she's my favourite winner ever of the Great British Bake Off, Yay. it's Nadia Hussain. Hello. Hi. <laughs> That's a nice long list, gosh. Well, you, you seem to be adding to it all the time. I know, it's mad. Um, yeah, when I, whenever somebody kind of relays that list, I just think, where do I have a time to be a mum in between all of that? <laughs> but you're interesting, though, because you were a stay-at-home mum before yeah. Bake Off. Yeah. And and actually, yeah, from what I've been reading about you, it seems like you would still call yourself that. Everything else is yeah. just you on know, the side. If someone, else, if someone asks me, what do you do? I still say I'm a stay-at-home mum, but I do other things as well. <laughs> and it's really weird because... I think I still feel like a stay-at-home mum because when I'm at home, I like everything comes off and I'm just mum and that's yeah. it. And in between all of that, I'll write a little bit and test recipes and do other things. But like my sole purpose is to be a mum. And I say that because I'm here today, right now, and like my mind is always 
somewhere else, which mm-hmm. is like, are they, like I look at the clock and I'm like, oh, he's back from school now and they're having dinner now and dad's heating it up really badly right now. So like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going through their day in my head, even though I'm trying to function by doing something else. So I suppose I kind of always will feel like a stay at home, maybe. I don't know. I haven't got that balance right just yet. I don't think there is a balance. I think it's something that is just out there that we're all looking for that is never actually there. It's never actually going to be fulfilled. I suppose it's that because I spent close to eight years with them. Yeah. That's a lot of time when I think back how little time I gave myself. Yeah. I I had my eldest and then I had my second and then three years later I had my daughter. And I kind of felt like I had it all happened very quickly and I was very young when I had my first. Yeah, so, so you um, you got married at 19? Yeah, 20? just turned 20. Just turned 20. An arranged marriage? Yeah, kind of, yeah. It's a weird. Oh, really? It's a weird kind of arranged slash we got to know each other for six months but we never met. Okay. So we spoke to each other for six months. but How? We... Did you write to each other, phone each other? T- t- those were the days of SMSs. Do you remember Ooh. when you could send pictures and they would load <laughs> little by little? Yeah. What's it going to be? What's like, it going to oh, be? Oh, no. What's his face look like? It's like, oh, eyes are nice. Nice nose. Oh, no. Um, he had great hair. Um, <laughs> the first thing to load in every yeah. photo. Yeah, it's like he had lots of hair. So, um, yeah, so we spoke to each other for six months, but we didn't meet. The first day we ever met was the day we got engaged. Right. And the second... Did you know that was going to happen that day? I think so, because okay. I quite liked him, and he had all the prospects of a good husband. Yeah. And, like, at 19, who asks, like, what's your 10-year forecast? But they were the right questions to ask, because I was like, okay, so, like, he's got a good job, and, like, he's passed his driving test, so we can go out. And, you know, when you're 19, you kind of just want to marry somebody who's good-looking, right? You just want... <laughs> And actually, you don't want to marry someone who's good looking. You just kind of want to enjoy somebody who's yeah. good looking, right? That's what I did. And I was like, yeah, he'll do. And, it, and he had a job. So I was like, well, that'll do. Uh, money and a good face. There we go. Yeah. And a car. I mean, yeah. well, what could you want? Well, that's kind of what you want when you're 20. Yeah. I mean, ask me now and I'd say, wait, hold on a second. Um, but we spoke to each other for six months. And then the day we got engaged, that was the first time I'd actually seen him. And the day we got married was the second day I saw him. And that was it. It's weird, isn't it? When you're just saying, even when I say it out loud and the look on your face, it's like, yeah, it's odd. But I didn't know about the six, because you had six months of courtship, really, because you were getting to know each other. Yeah, but we'd never met and we didn't brave meeting. We're like, should we meet? Just, it, we Why just, not? Because our parents were quite strict. Like yeah. My parents were quite strict. And so it was just not, it wasn't a thing that we were going to do. And it just, if I did meet him, I'd have to lie to them. So I didn't want to uh, lie to okay. them. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I just decided, no, actually, it's best not to. But I got to speak to him for six months and got to know him. And, and turns out he's all right. How old were you when you fell pregnant? 20. 20. Yeah. So you must have fallen pregnant really quickly. Yeah. So I was pregnant within the first month and a half. Wow. Yeah, so it was expected, like we wanted to have a baby because it felt like, it sounds terrible and I hate saying it out loud, but it's the reality, it was tick box. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're married now and we didn't really know each other very well and... Yeah, I should have known the day we got married and I moved up to Leeds and there was no wardrobe space. <laughs> I should have known. I should have known. But now, like, I have three quarters of the wardrobe That's space good. and he's got a tiny little sliver. Um, it was very tick box. It was, we're married, let's have a baby, and then and then we bought a house. So... That's what we did. It was just very much kind of this and this what adults do. We were just adulting without realising that there's a little bit more to it than yeah. just tick box. 
like because I think when you're planning to come pregnant, yeah. But then the reality of actually being pregnant, how was that pregnancy? It was great. I mean, I could eat everything, and I had. I mean, I had the first trimester. I had sickness, a little bit of nausea, but I was never actually physically sick. So it was a lot of ginger nuts and flat Coca Cola. Okay. And preggy pops, like those lollipops that are just lollipops, but they're meant to help you with sickness. I've never heard of them. Have you never heard of them? Yeah, well, I had awful sickness, but I wasn't actually... I wanted to physically be sick. I was like, come on, just let it come out. But it never came. But I was just that feeling of nausea, even down to the, you know, like the smell that comes out of their nose (laughs) when they breathe. Don't breathe near me. (laughs) So he would breathe next to me while we were in bed. So I would make him turn around and sleep the other way around. Luckily, he doesn't have smelly feet, but I would rather look at his foot in the morning than smell him breathing. I just thought the fact that this probably would have come around three months after marriage, like getting married and all of a sudden you're like, no. Yeah, exactly. And we didn't even know each other that well. Was that difficult? Because I think being pregnant having children even when you are in a long-term relationship like me and Tom we were together a long time before we had kids yeah that's stressful anyway yeah and you know each other although saying that I think when you're pregnant you become a whole new person yeah in a weird way because your hormones and everything are all over the shop yeah I think I think that's why I became when I became a mother I think for me I hadn't actually worked out how to be a wife yet so it Mm. kind of everything was a little bit back to front for me and we did that whole tick box thing well we've got to have a baby next and let's do that and we did that and we did a lot of learning about each other in that first year because we'd had our first wedding anniversary and then seven days later our son was born so it was scary and weird at the same time because we almost didn't celebrate being together and it was all yeah. about having a child. Yeah. So it's taken us that long. But, you know, we're on our 14th year now. And, you know, now, you know, just two days ago, we were watching television. We binge watched Game of Thrones <laughs> and we were watching the last little bit. And he had his head like close to me and I was looking through his hair and he has got more white hair than he has black. And I had like, I was crying and he just said, why are you crying? I just said, I don't know. You just got old. <laughs> but you know, I couldn't believe that we've gone through 14 years and yeah. I've watched his hair go from black to grey and he's all salt and peppery now and it's yeah. really odd. And I was like, should we colour it? He's like, no, we're never going to colour it. <laughs> but I had this kind of weird feeling that I imagine that had I, we had that courtship and we'd got to know each other, perhaps I would have felt like that 14 years ago, but right. it's taken us that long, but we're there. Yeah. But we've done it. Everything about my marriage and my kids is back to front. And how long after your first child did you have your second? It was exactly a year later. So, oh, really? So six days after my son's first birthday, my second son was born. <gasps> so it was literally as soon as we'd had it. Oh, my gosh, you just literally like... Yeah, that was it. it was wham, just, bam. Yeah, so we were we were having a conversation in the car and Melda's son, Musa, was about well, seven or eight weeks old yeah. and I just said, I think we should have another baby. He said, OK, and that was it. And so we just got to it and we had a second baby. They say you're more fertile yeah, you, yeah, when, yeah. when you're breastfeeding. Yeah. So it was yeah, weird. Because it's that, that old wives' tale, isn't it? People think that you don't ovulate because you're breastfeeding, but actually you are more fertile. Exactly. So I'm sure he just looked at me and that was it. Baby, <laughs> done. That was it. it, just, it, it, it there was no effort required. It just happened. <laughs> he must have been a bit like, um... I felt like a god. He was like, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. So that does mean, though, that the majority of your first two years together yeah you were pregnant the whole time the whole time yeah um and because I remember having him and being pregnant with him and I said to my husband I want something that's mine because I'd moved 165 miles away from home so my parents were in Luton I moved to Leeds to live with him 
and I could barely understand what they were saying. So I hadn't heard a northern like accent till I really because he was from Leeds. <laughs> yeah. So he had a really strong northern accent, which both my boys still have a strong northern accent, really? and my daughter doesn't anymore. But I like a northern accent mm. clearly because yeah. it just it I just, it just sounds so good. But I suppose I wanted something for me, and I think having a child meant he was mine, and I had something that was my own. I mean, I could have got a cat. <laughs> In hindsight, I mean, easier. Look, yeah, 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 probably a little bit easier and cheaper, but yeah. I just wanted something that was mine. And I yeah. remember after he was born, I felt sorry for him because I felt like he had nobody apart from me. So I said, let's have somebody for him. That was my reasoning. It's like, yeah. But if I think back now, I'm 34 years old. I was 21. Mm. Like my logic hadn't even set in then. You know, I hadn't lived, you know, I didn't know anything really when I think back now to the things that I know now like what did I know at 21 I hadn't lived I hadn't traveled I hadn't seen much of the world and you know I was there in this house pregnant yeah with a husband I didn't know that well and it was scary is it a big culture thing as well is it a common thing for people to get married young and to start families young absolutely it's something that I've grown up with so it was completely normal to do it but I've never actually heard the other side of what it's like to be married. So Mm. to be in those shoes, in that position, I kind of stepped back and thought, this is harder than it looks, you know, because I've seen lots of cousins and relatives go off, get married, move out of their parents' houses, and they have these arranged marriages, and some not arranged, yet, you know, they made it look effortless. But, you know, were they suffering quietly alone as well? Because I know that it wasn't easy for me. And with somebody who suffers with mental health issues... It wasn't easy. And so, and I hadn't told my husband that I suffer with panic disorder. So that was something that I perhaps should have shared with mm. him. And so then there was a mixture of being a wife and being a mum and then, you know, having another baby. And so we had two babies very quickly. And, and that, of course, that put a lot of pressure on our marriage. It, yeah. was, it wasn't easy at all because we were just getting to know each other. That was a point when after I had my second son, I was like, I think maybe no more babies for a little <laughs> while. And, and, you know, it took me two years to get there. Yeah. You have a big family growing up as well, didn't you? Yeah, I'm one of six. Yeah. Uh, My dad's one of 14. Wow. My mum's one of originally eight, but she lost four brothers and sisters, so she's one of four, which is very small. Yeah. My husband's one of seven. So these are normal numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like one of 14. That is crazy. When my grandma died in her early 50s, and I'm telling you it's just because she had 14 (laughs) kids. It has to be. Yeah. Why else did she die in her 50s? It's just... just... Well, when... So having had people like that in your family who are all from big families, big families are everything, when you were looking at your future, how many children do you think you would have? Originally, I remember saying that I didn't want to have children. Oh, really? Yeah, because it's really noisy. You know, just like, because when growing up, it wasn't just you and your family. I was one of six, but we had extended family. So every cousin that would come over, they'd come in fives and sixes. and, (laughs) And so it got really crowded. And so I remember being 15 and doing my revision for my GCSE and not finding one spot in the house where I could just do my revision. I remember thinking to myself at that point, I don't think I want to have kids. Because this is just, it's mayhem. And I hated it. And I remember saying to myself, if I've ever found the right guy, I would have children. But not if I didn't find the right guy. But I didn't know whether he was the right guy. Was there a lot of expectation to have children? Oh, I mean, mean, about four weeks in, everyone was asking, are you going to have kids yet? Are you going to have kids yet? (laughs) I don't know. And I think part of me regrets not enjoying being married and enjoying my husband and really getting to know him before mm. having children. But I think that having them so early changed our dynamic in our home. And, and I think it solidified our relationship 
as husband and wife really early on without realising what we were doing. I think we got very lucky. Coming from a big family, did you feel a lot of support going like through your pregnancies and, and in the early days of having a baby? It's odd, isn't it? There's this thing about being pregnant and I think women are quite competitive. And and also you have to remember when you're pregnant, you're also highly sensitive. Yeah. So anytime anyone would say something to me, I would feel like that was a, like a direct dig, dig straight yeah. into my heart. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I didn't know anyone who had had babies apart from my sister. But she was this, and still is, this tiny little like size zero petite like she has a baby and then she's in Tesco two hours later and she's got a six pack six weeks later and I'm like right how and for me that's why I imagined I was like well, she's my sister mm. surely I'm going to be just like her we've got the same genes exactly you know? genetically we're yeah. the same so surely I'm going to be just like her and I'm going to zip back into shape and I'm going to be in Tesco two hours later and I was the complete opposite and I, I remember constantly comparing myself to her thinking really? She had tiny little babies and, you know, her labours were not long or drawn out and she had the energy to be mum. Mm. And for me, I had the complete opposite. I put on three stone and actively in labour for 72 hours wow. um, to the point where his heart rate had dropped and they said, right, we're going to have to go C-section. And then literally within that point and them saying that and realising he was out. He just oh, really? He just flew out, causing the most damage. The most damage. Oh, my goodness. Do you have stitches? Yes. Fourth degree tear. Oh. Stitches. I'm telling you, and I tell him, I say, I'm going to tell him. Hold on a minute. Yeah. And yeah. then you fell pregnant seven weeks later? Yeah. Nadia! Yeah, I know. <laughs> Chainsaw. <laughs> You'd think that would be like the biggest form of contraception. Don't go near exactly. me for two years, please. But apparently women are conditioned to forget pain yeah, and that's yeah. why we're so good at it. It's because if we remembered pain, then we would never have a second child. Yeah. So, you know, I'm glad I didn't. But because of that, you wouldn't have been able to walk around. I, I imagine walking around and doing anything. No, so well, you know what I used to do? I used to go to the local, like farm foods and my husband used to go down and he would get ice lollies and then we'd freeze them and we'd stick them in oh, my yeah, pants yeah. for relief yeah. and I mean it would last I'm, it was like a volcano honestly it was shocking but it, they would last for all of about 10 seconds I'm like give me another <laughs> one it's melted so quickly <laughs> And there I was, ice lollies. And, and my husband said, should we just wash these and put them back in the freezer? I'm like, I don't know. What's the right thing to do? Do we recycle? I've never done this before. You <laughs> shouldn't go in the recycling. And then he was like, well, should I? I was like, I don't know. I remember having this conversation two days in and I was like, I don't know what the right thing is to do. Is it clean to put that back in there and wash it? And he said, come on, have some patience. I said, shut up. I've just had a baby. Don't tell me to have patience. I don't know what to do. And it was so stressful because I couldn't sit. Yeah. I couldn't lie down. And when I did lie down, I couldn't get back up. And I remember coming home with him and he was eight pounds eight. So he's a big mm-hmm. boy. Yep. I remember my mum and I was so lucky like to have my mum for that first week was the best thing because I think as you grow up, you appreciate your mum the most yeah. when you become a mum yourself mm-hmm. because you realise what your body's just done and, and that you have a different appreciation for your mother. Yeah. And so now, after that point, every birthday of mine, I always give her Aww. a present. So it's nice for her because she gets six every year now from all <laughs> of her kids. But, you know, I definitely had a different appreciation for my own mum because she came in and she literally swept in and took over. Really? Which was the best thing. That's all anyone can ever want is for someone to just come in and say just you do the bare minimum and let me do the rest I remember coming in and 
having not slept for 72 hours and my husband was so tired, he nearly drowned in the bath. He was so sleepy. And he can never, ever eat another Rocky bar ever again because he, <laughs> he'd packed 12 and he'd eaten all 12. And you can't, he can't if, if I say Rocky bar, this is going to make him sick, by the way. <laughs> Ooh, I can't do that. Um, but my mum came in and she, I remember the first night he was in his basket and he was crying hysterically, obviously needed feeding and mm. I didn't have a clue. My mum came in and kind of nudged me and said, can you not hear him crying? I didn't hear because really? I suppose that thing didn't kick in. You know that instinct that yeah. you expect to kick in straight away, where if your child even like just makes a coup, then you just know exactly what that coup's about. It hadn't kicked in whatever that was that I was waiting for. It didn't happen, and I just said well, I didn't hear him. And then she said, "Well, look, I'll make him a bottle. You rest, and then we can get him on breastfeeding a little bit later. Let's just give him a bottle just to get him settled." So she did. And through the whole night, I had no idea that she had him. She'd literally taken the Moses basket, taken it into her room and fed him through the night. And I hadn't realised that she'd done that, but I was so tired. But also probably for you, getting that sleep. I needed it. Yeah. It, was, it was the weirdest, most surreal situation to be in. And I remember saying to my mum, so mum, it turns out that I didn't know I was going to have these stitches and they're going to take a while to heal. So I was like in salt baths and and, and what nobody tells you is that like you can't go for a wee because it, oh, it's the, the wee most stitches. Oh. painful thing. It's like having a chainsaw down there. Or number there. two. Oh, anything. That was the that was the dreaded number mm-hmm. two. That Just anticipating yeah. it was scary. And I remember the doctor saying that if you want to go for a wee, just sit in a bath and do it in the bath. Oh, really? Then it doesn't hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was doing that. But every time I needed a wee, I was running a bath. And so I was in the <laughs> bath. I was in the bath constantly. So I was having conversations with people from the bathtub all day. I was breastfeeding in the bathtub. But you're never prepared. You're never... No, pre- you, no one ever prepares you for what's to come. And that's when I learned, actually, just because my sister had that pregnancy doesn't mean that I'm going to have the same. And, you know, my sister after me, she had a C-section and couldn't have her children naturally. Mm. So I suppose expectation is, I think, mother of all evils, isn't it? Well, I think it's really easy to look at someone and go, oh, my God, she's done that that way. And But there might be other things that you didn't see with your sister behind closed doors that you just weren't yeah. privy to. Yeah. It's very private. It's something that part of me wishes that I had gone in there and seen what it is that she went through because I remember my sister coming back and saying 72 hours because you have had us all on edge for the last few days because <laughs> turning it back on them yeah, we have been we so have, worried we have, so, we have suffered <laughs> I was like yeah <laughs> they were so they were stressed out and I remember feeling really bad I was like I'm so sorry I, I kind of thought that he would just come out and he didn't and you can imagine their horror when I told him three months later two months later that I was pregnant again they're like what I mean that was a bold move yeah it was a much easier labour and much easier pregnancy. So yeah. the doctor said, if you're going to do it, do it now. Don't wait too long. But when I told him I was pregnant, she said, OK, I didn't mean that soon. <laughs> said, well, you should have specified. <laughs> but as you got closer to the second uh, birth, did you feel anxious at all knowing what had come before? Well, I had... Do you know when you have that birth plan of the first one? Yeah. I had it all typed up. I had it laminated <laughs> in case you? of spillages. Yes, absolutely. I still have it. Um, I had it laminated just in case. And yeah. I had a copy for my sister and a copy for my husband. So I was like, everybody will know straight out the window. It didn't go as 
you know, how I imagined it would. And yeah. I didn't even get to... The one thing I wanted was to have him on my chest straight away. Right. And I couldn't do that because I was in such a bad way that he was on his dad and I didn't really, really get to touch him for a couple of hours. So it didn't go to plan. So the second time round, and I reckon our midwife fancied our husband, my husband really? a little bit. Yeah. I reckon she had a thing for him. 72 hours later, I mean, you could fall in love in 72 hours. I know. <laughs> you do know. I do. Sometimes, I know. So, like, 72 hours later, they had become really good friends. And she kept, Did like, you feel out of the loop a little bit? Totally third wheel. Third wheel. And he, she was, like, all, oh, and, like, touching his shoulder and tapping his wrist. And, and she was going in for hugs. And I was, like, kind of looking over. I was like, am I disturbing you guys here? But there was... And she walked out. I said, she loves you. And it's like, she doesn't love me. Don't be ridiculous. And and there was definitely, like, you could see she did like him a little bit. Good looking man, though. I mean, he's all yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, he he's is, not he he's is, easy yeah. on the eye. So, you know, it was going to happen. Every time I said, oh, but I can have a little bit of help moving over. She'd roll her eyes a little bit and toss me over the other side. Because I felt like a nuisance. Really? I felt like a total nuisance when I was having... Because I was still only a kid myself, yeah. really. And so all I wanted was to be comfortable mm-hmm. and... I rem- nurtured through it almost, yeah. you know, guided. Yeah, and, and like when you're at hospital, you expect to be looked after and, mm. and uh, you expect to be cared for. And I think I felt like a nuisance because I could kind of remember her looking at her watch thinking, come on. She did her shift, left her shift and came back and I was still there. Right. So she was like, when is she going to have this baby and leave? So I think she was getting fed up of me and I was kind of getting fed up of her as well. The relationship with my husband was just too comfortable. I was like, no, get rid of her. But second time round didn't do a birth plan. Right. I just said, as soon as the baby's born, I'd like him on me if it goes to plan. Yeah. That was it. I was like, I don't have a plan. Let's see what happens. So I think I knew what to expect, which was not to expect anything because yeah. I don't know what the second pregnancy was going to be like. And the midwife said, oh, it'd be a lot easier. It's your second child and you've had him so soon after. So it'd be absolutely fine. I didn't believe her either. I was like, well, I'm, <laughs> the best thing is to have no expectations yeah. whatsoever. So I went in with zero expectations and the midwife definitely didn't fancy him that time around. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> no chemistry. No chemistry there. I was in and out. I was in and out. That was 52 hours. Oh, really? And to me, that was in and out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it crazy to think that you'd only known each other, or by then you'd known each other a year? Yeah. Because I think it's hard to see your partner go through childbirth anyway. But to see someone who is, you're still getting to know each other. Was it strange for you seeing him see you in that way? I think my love for him definitely grew when I could appreciate what kind of a dad he was. Mm. Because at that point, I think... I mean, I know that he loved me and I I loved him in a way, I suppose. It was like, I was neither here nor there. It was just like, I do love you, like you love people. Because he was my husband and I was having his kids, so there's a love there. But it wasn't that, like, now I couldn't live without him. Mm. There is, there I can't see a world without him. Back then, I was like, "Mm, yeah, give or take. (laughs) Maybe a little bit, I don't know. Um, He's going to hate me. He's going to hate me for being that honest. But it was, it was. It doesn't mean to say I didn't love him. I just didn't love him the way I love him now, and that's very different. But I think when you watch a human push another human out of their body Mm. and it's yours, like, that is... Powerful. That's powerful Mm. because... There was a time when, you know, men wouldn't go into a room with their wives. Well, like your mum and dad, would that have... No. No, I think at the very beginning, for a couple of the births, dad was there. And I think by the time you get to, like, child four, you're like, all right, just (laughs) cigarettes, going for a fag, (laughs) seeing a bit. (laughs) He did. With me, he he was going out for a fag while mum was in (laughs) labour. Really? And then I was born and then... 
the midwife ran up to him and said, she's just had the baby. It's like, <laughs> OK. He goes, well, all right, well, let me just have my fag and I'll be Got back. a couple of drags left. I'll be <laughs> yeah, in a second. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's scary to go that far back. Yeah. How did you feel when you had your first child, because you had a couple of hours preparing, mm-hmm. when you actually met your son? How did it feel? It was odd because I had that plan in my head and in my head I was going to touch him first. Mm. So even to this day, I kind of hold slight... A uh, little bit sad. Just a little bit because I wanted to touch him first. Yeah. I was like, I get that you're his dad and it's okay that one of us touches him first, but I did kind of hold him, like he was in me and... Because yeah. and, he'd held him and I remember him being really calm at first and then he weed on his dad and he had like weed down his T-shirt. And then after they were repairing me, he just kind of held him, not knowing what to do because he hadn't really held that many babies. So it's kind of holding him. And then he started to cry hysterically, obviously hungry, which now I know my son, like he's always hungry. <laughs> he was hungry and he needed feeding. And whatever it was, he was crying and he couldn't settle him. Mm. And there was something about that moment when he was crying and they lifted up my top and just stuck him straight in. And I will never forget that silence, that instantaneous silence from the moment he's crying to being here and listening to my heartbeat. And he stopped, like, straight away. And that that makes me want to have another baby. Just talking about it makes me want to have another baby. But that moment when I put him on... And he just stopped straight away. And I and I looked over at my husband and he goes, it's because you're his mum. And, and that moment for me, I remember moving away from home and not having my family around, something that I was so used to, and not having my parents, not having my sisters. And then suddenly I had what was mine, like he was mine. And I think I look at my kids and I can't guarantee anything in the world, but they're mine. You know, they are mine. And they won't be mine for long, because I always say there's going to be a moment oh. when I give you up to the world and you'll be the world's. You're not going to be mine forever. But for that moment, he felt like mine. And sometimes I hold him even now. And I describe that moment when he heard my heartbeat. And sometimes even now, he'll just lay there. And I'm like, do you remember that time when you were crying and then I put you on my chest and you stopped crying? And, and he'd say, yes, I remember. Because like, he thinks it's his memory now. <laughs> and I was like, he's yes, yes, I remember. I remember when, when I stopped crying, right, Ma? And I was like, yeah, that's it. And, and, and he, to him, that's a memory, but it's only because I tell him that story. But yeah. suddenly, you know, that pain, that being stitched up. Yeah. And, like, they were poking and prodding. And I remember seeing blood just dripping down the side of my bed and there was a massive puddle. I remember looking over and he'd stopped crying and I looked over and I was like... Where's that blood from? <gasps> and that was that moment. And, and he looked at me and, he, and then I was like, I think I might drop him because I just got oh, all like really? weird and I fainted. Don't oh, remember. No. Yeah, then I don't remember what happened after that. I was like, can you take him? Because I don't oh, I love it. That gone. really tender, emotional moment <laughs> turned into fainting. <laughs> take him off, take him off, take him off. And then got rid. And I was like, I don't really know what happened after that. And then I think I was in and out a little bit after that. And yeah. it, was quite, it was quite stressful. Well, you've been through 72 hours and it sounds like it was quite quite an experience it's only when the painkillers wear off Mm. and then realizing that like every time i breastfeed him it hurts because you're it's your uterus doing that thing where it's like contracting contracting and i was like this shouldn't hurt why does this hurt it shouldn't hurt this is meant to be like the most amazing thing in the whole wide world and my mom's like it'll be fine it'll be fine and um i remember a relative coming over to see the baby and saying oh you still look pregnant i was like i haven't had him I've only had him like 24 hours ago. Yeah. What do you mean I still look pregnant? 
And it's all of those things. I remember those things. Did that did that sentence stay with you? Yeah. I wouldn't say it right now in this moment if it hadn't. Because yeah. I remember, I was like, why would you say that? Because then what was I doing? I was like this massive, it feels like it's weird, isn't it? That yeah. feeling because there's no baby under that there. But it's, yeah, but it's huge. Mm. Like, bread when it when it <laughs> yeah. when it has its first proof yeah. and I'm like oh but it's supposed to deflate why doesn't it deflate and it's just there yeah um it's kind of the perfect little pouch to put your to rest them, bit, on. To rest it them is. on i think it, i think it's nature's way of saying that like it's meant to be there it's like nature's pillow isn't it yeah when you're feeding it's kind of like the perfect mound yeah. to sit your child on so did the first pregnancy make you uh, approach the second pregnancy any differently I think because I had such a young baby, mm. um, I hadn't even told anyone that I was pregnant because really? for the fear of being judged. Really? Yeah, so for the first 10, 12 weeks, I would have said something, but I kept it quiet till somebody worked it out. And then I was starting to feel really sick. And I was like, oh, somebody's going to work this out now. Yeah. Um, but I was scared that people were going to judge me. That Who I'm, would judge you? I suppose I didn't want to be the... Maybe I was judging myself. Maybe yeah. I didn't want to be the mum who... That's where I think a lot of judgment actually in parenthood comes from. It's ourselves. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think I was slightly judgmental of myself. I think I didn't want to be the young 21-year-old who's just like my only purpose in life is just to have kids. And I just didn't want to seem like... I don't know. I think I was more judgmental. I think I was the one that was judgmental, not anyone else. I was scared that people would judge me if I told them that I was pregnant. But I did. Eventually, I was too sick to not say something. But weirdly having my son around was such a big distraction because while I was pregnant and feeling sick, I had no choice but to get up and they need you quite a lot when they're three months old, four months old, you know, nappies need changing when the poo goes right up their back and, <laughs> you know, you can't worry about, no. your, your, you know, having a sore back or feeling sick. You just got to get on with it yeah. and like get them in the bathtub and get them washed. Um, you just do, don't you? You just have to get on with it. And I think a lot of my pregnancy went... That second pregnancy was a blur because... Was, was there any point, though, that you, you sort of had the poo up the back and your, your own back was aching where you were a bit like, what have I done? No, not... Really? I, no, no, because... No, I remember thinking that the third time round. <laughs> really? Yeah, third time round because, weirdly, you just get on with it. It's like mm. mum mode and yeah, I just yeah. did it. And I'm not very good at failing. So when I when I start something, like, my children are my mission and they mm. always will be. That sounds like the least mum type thing to say is like they are my mission. But ultimately, my job is to create three beautiful children that I get to give back to the world. Yeah. And that's what's important to me because they won't be mine forever. They're not my property. I don't own them. But, you know, I did make them. And so that's something that I have that responsibility, at least till they're 18, until they go off and do their own thing. So, no, I think the moments where I, I never felt regret yeah. because I was too busy Doing trying it. to do the best job mm. with the one that I had. I never had anybody to compare him to, but I wanted him to know every single colour. And I wanted him to know his numbers. And I wanted him to know every song on CBBS before he goes to bed. And and he was so easy to look after. He was so... He would eat on time. He'd sleep on time. And he was in his own cot when he was four months old, in his own room. And I didn't have to, like, lull him to sleep. Yeah. It was just get in, give you a little teddy bear, and then just off to sleep, turn the lights off. That's it. And he was just such an easy baby. And I always say that. And my husband always says, you realise he wasn't just an easy baby. You were actually a good mum. And I was like, no, 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 he was an easy baby. He was really good. Well, he must have been really calm. Yeah. He was kind of my kid and my friend at the same time because I didn't have friends. Yeah. And so we used to do... Because you'd moved the area. Yeah. Course. So I was 
nearly 200 miles away from home. I didn't, yeah. I hadn't made any friends. And I recently learned about like a baby group and I'd taken him to this baby group. I didn't make many friends there. And Why didn't you make friends there? I just think, I don't think I was ready for friends. I think I was still mourning the fact that I'd left all of my friends yeah. behind. And so I wasn't ready to make friends just yet. But And it can be quite overwhelming, I think, when you first step into a baby group. Because yeah. you, you want to be a part of it, but at the same time you kind of feel like you're on the outside because of all the things that, you're, that are going on that you feel like you're the only one going through. Yeah, and, and like everyone knows when you're in there, everyone knows where they need to go to make a cup of tea, but you're kind of there like, I don't know where I'm going. And just you feel like you're on the outside. Yeah. So it takes a little while to get into that. And the lady that ran the playgroup was lovely. And so she would kind of like, come on, come on and integrate us in and, a little bit. And it helps when you've got little kids because actually they talk to everyone and yeah. then you get to chatting anyway. So... My whole world revolved around looking after him and making sure everything was perfect and making sure that he was in bed on time because he was a mark of my achievements. At this point, at 21, the only thing I'd achieved was having a child and I couldn't have done that if I didn't have him. So he was the... Every time I he achieved something, it was, like, for me, another achievement. So yeah. when he was going to bed by himself and when he was eating all his food and, you know, when he learned how to chop a carrot, you know, all of those things, they were a mark of my achievement. So, so he had a lot of pressure, poor thing. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. 
Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. How did things change adding another baby into the mix? That was quite interesting, actually, because we were really afraid that he would hate him. Yeah. And he was a year and six days old when my second son was born. He was in hospital. My little boy had a heart murmur. And so we had to keep him back and... He came to meet his brother, but we were in a, in a different ward and they were having his heart checked. I remember, because we've got lots of heart problems in our family, right. instantly we thought, oh, no, what's going on? And everybody was very worried. It was weird because, like, for me, I saw this baby, but he was sick. And mm. I, I have a brother and sister who were born sick and they spent a lot of time in hospital. Right. Like sometimes nine months of the year was in hospital. We didn't see much of our parents. My grandma looked after us. So they were in and out of hospital between different parts of the country. So I saw him and he had this, they said he's got this heart murmur, effectively a hole in his heart. So I kind of looked at him and thought, oh my goodness, it's history repeating itself. This is me. I'm going to be my mum. And I remember looking at him thinking, that's all I could see. Like my beautiful baby boy, but I could see that. I could see yeah. my mum's life. I could see, you know, what we went through. And I was like, it's weird. And then in that moment, his brother comes in. My husband was carrying him. He was only a year old. He built like a tank. He was huge. <laughs> what a food. Huge. I, I remember his friend picking him up, my husband's friend picking him up, saying, do you feed him bricks? <laughs> He's so heavy. And he came in and all he did was like, he kind of walked up to him and then he just poked him in the eye. <laughs> and then he made him cry and he looked at me and he was like, baby, cry. And I was like, yeah, baby, cry. And that moment... I was like, you think once you've had one child that you're a family, but actually now when I look at that moment where we just suddenly became something else, we mm. morphed into something else entirely. And to him, that was just his brother. And I could, as an adult head, I could see all the other things that could possibly happen to our family. But in that moment, we were just a family. Mm. And to this day, I always ask him, how did you meet him? Because I don't remember. Because they don't know, because they're yeah. only a year apart. So it felt like having twins. So... Lucky for me, my eldest started walking at nine months. Right. Which meant that I didn't have to lug two around. Oh, of course. So imagine having yeah. to lug the two around. So, But, you know, we also entered into the world of double buggies, which <laughs> nobody likes a parent with double buggies, is all I'm saying. Nobody likes a double buggy mum. The looks. And, and we, didn't, we didn't even have the ones. They, they were very modern, the ones now, where you have the one tucked underneath, like the yeah. shopping. You know, you have one mm-hmm. kid that's the shopping. Well, that freaks me out. Like, <laughs> who do you choose? The least favourite goes in the bottom, or they don't see the world because they can only look in one direction. Yeah, <laughs> no. who gets to be the shopping with the onions? Here you go, here you go, kid, have the onions. And then the one at the top. Yeah. So we didn't have the money for anything like that. So mm. we had these cheap but it was side by side. Yeah. So I was the double buggy mum who was like knocking everybody around and I was shopping on the side. And it just for him, you know, he doesn't see that. He didn't see that. He just saw his brother. How long did you have to stay in hospital for with his heart? Just a day. Really? Just a day. But they sent us home afterwards and said, I mean, you just keep an eye on him, make sure that his lips don't go blue and keep an eye on his breathing. Must be terrifying. And we had to wait six months for an appointment just to check because they have to give it six months before... Because some develop. so some kids, you know, the heart develops and then the hole can get the hole naturally will close, and we had to wait six months, and that was the hardest six months because that was in the back of my head the whole time. Just mm. every time I looked at him, every I spent those six months just constantly checking that he was alive, because every time I'd go up to his Moses bar, I would just fear that he wouldn't be alive in there, yeah. and so I spent six months just keeping an eye on him, making sure that he was alive, and and it became hab- such a bad habit that. Even my eldest son was 
going up and checking. Really? And yeah, he would go up and he'd say, he'd call him Adu. I was like, Adu? And I was like, yeah, come on then. And so he would, because I would check him and then he would go and check him and he would just do what I was doing, which was just checking and like having a little poke. Yeah. And he would have a little poke and then he'd come back and he, he was just doing what I was doing. But they were really tricky six months because you forget sometimes, but it's there in the back of your mm-hmm. mind. Not sure. But luckily, six months later, we went back and I had an appointment and they said he's absolutely fine. And I remember just crying with relief. And you know those, um, the paper towels they have on the on the beds to keep yeah. them clean and well I just like ripped a load of that off and I remember just sitting there with that <laughs> on my face because I was crying so much because it was a really hard six months even yeah. though I think about the fact that we just carried on and got on with it I remember six months of just checking that he wasn't dead um did that really pull you together as a family as well oh absolutely I think it does pull you together but you also just get on with it. Mm. I think when you have nappies to change and bills to pay and, you know, loans to pay back and mortgage, you just get on with it. And I think that was what it was. It wasn't us pulling together. It was us getting on with life. Mm. And I think there was a moment when my second son, he hadn't been diagnosed, but he had symptoms of asthma. So he was seven months old. So this is a month after we'd got the all clear for his heart. And he was crawling. And I remember him crawling and then just a couple of crawls and then laying down. And then a couple of crawls and then laying down. And his brother's patting on the couch and saying, come on, come with me, come and sit down. But he couldn't make it. Maybe, I think it was about two metres. He Mm -hmm. couldn't go two metres without stopping every few movements and then stopping. I was like, something's not right with him. And I kind of flipped him over and he'd gone limp. And his face had gone blue and his lips had gone blue and he couldn't breathe. And he was just shallow and he just wasn't right. And I remember just calling an ambulance because I didn't have a car. I didn't have the car. Musa didn't have his shoes and Dawood was limp in my arms and I'm like, talk to him, let's talk to him, keep talking to him. And then the ambulance came and we sat in the car, in the ambulance. And I remember my eldest Musa is sat there and he's really excited by the noises <laughs> and, and looking at the little tubes and things. And in that moment, I didn't care that he didn't have shoes on or what he did. Yeah, it was just yeah. like, I don't actually, right now, this does not matter. You just, whatever. And I remember paramedic just kind of picking him up and taking him into the ambulance. But there I am with my son and he was breathing, but he was just not himself. I knew something wasn't right. And that's when I think truly instinct kicked in because I knew that morning when he woke up, he didn't look right to me. And it's a sign because the inside of his mouth had gone bright red. And now, even now, when he gets sick, the first thing I see is the inside of his mouth. And I'm like, he's not well. I know he's not sick. And my husband always says, he's fine. And I know, I just know. And I know, I know those signs. I I see it all and he doesn't... My husband always thinks that I'm just fibbing and I'm like, no, I'm telling you he's sick. And he says that I make him sick by saying it. I'm like, no, like I know. (laughs) But I remember just going in the ambulance and in that moment, my son needed me. But I remember... I remember that so distinctly. I needed my husband. Mm. And I'd never needed him before then. And I remember that moment when we opened up the ambulance and by then I'd already texted him and said, you need to get to the hospital. I'd opened the ambulance. And you know that thing that kids do when they're really sick and then suddenly they get better? Yeah. When you take him to the doctor's? <laughs> yes. Well, he did that. So they put a nebulizer on him, put right. some, give him some oxygen. He was fine. So he needed a bit of oxygen. Right. So. And he's suffered with asthma ever since, you know, he has asthma now. So we struggle with his asthma when it gets hot, when it gets cold. So it's something that we're living with and he's living with and we, we're learning as we go along. But that was our first sign of having respiratory problems. Mm. But yeah, that was uh, that was quite scary. 
So then you jumped into having a third. Yeah. When you said before, it was when your second went to nursery. Yeah. So yeah. So Musa was four and Dawood was three. Oh, I say three. He was just turned two, actually, because there's only a three year gap between them. Yeah. Oh, my goodness me. (laughs) Sooner than I thought. So he just turned two. So he was just going to. Yeah, he hadn't even started nursery. He was in playgroup. Right. And I just remember two felt like. I don't know. I didn't too feel... easy. Too easy. Now, you see, you're on three now. See, <laughs> you're on three. And when I said I was pregnant with my third, everyone said, "Is it because you want a girl?" I was like, "No, not necessarily." Oh, it's so annoying. That do you get that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, if you have another child, everyone's going to assume it's because you want a girl. But yeah. maybe it's because you want a fourth child. Mm-hmm. But I remember, and I was like, "Oh, is it because you want a girl?" I was like, "No, I kind of just want three kids because there's like a seat free in my car, and it makes sense to <laughs> fill it." I mean, if there was ever a reason to have a third child, yeah. that is it right there. Also, there's a seat free. And I reckon somebody should sit in it because it's wasted otherwise. <laughs> I like to make the most of my money. <laughs> um, but then, but nobody tells you about how expensive it gets when you have a third child. Yep. Um, wait till you have to have a second hotel room that you never use. Well, there we go. Yeah. So now we book, because they don't do family rooms anymore oh. so we have to book a second hotel room but when we go on holiday we want to all we all want to sleep in the same room together oh. so we have the most uncomfortable holidays <laughs> because we sleep in the bed and my daughter comes and piles up on top of us and the boys take the sofa whatever it is that yeah. they're sleeping on so we end up paying to be uncomfortable <laughs> wherever we go because they're scared because they don't want to sleep in a room away from us Aww. because it's creepy and they can hear crickets outside and things like that. So I was like, okay, so we've just had a third child and everything is more expensive. And turns out they get bigger and longer, which means you need a people carrier anyway. Yeah, yeah. So Because you can't get, you actually physically can't get three, well, Isofix now is the main thing. You can't get three car seats next to each other in a car. No, you can't. Why did somebody not tell me this? Am I right in thinking that you uh, were studying and doing an, a university degree while you were pregnant with her? Yeah, I was. I was doing... Because life wasn't, you know, difficult enough. Yes. And not enough going on. I think there was that point between having Dawood and having her where I just felt like, right, what am I doing? Because I've always wanted to go to university and mm. I didn't get to go to university. And so kind of there's always been that longing to start at least. And so with everything else going on, I thought, let's just add some more. Because I figured that once the kids are in bed, I could just study, couldn't I? Yeah. And, and I could. I could just put them to bed. And, and I had this really good set routine with them. And I started my course like a couple of months before I became pregnant. And then the workload became intense. And then the morning sickness hit. Mm. And then I thought to myself, that's that moment when I thought, what on earth have I done? <laughs> that's that moment. And like, even after having fourth degree tear and then having a pregnancy straight after I didn't think what have I done but in that moment I remember feeling out of my depth Mm. thinking maybe might have bitten off more than I can chew I remember when I said it out loud my husband just said the universe will hear you you don't mean that and I was like no I don't mean that sorry universe I didn't say that out loud you know when you say it out loud you think oh my god take it back take it back back. back. yeah so I was taking it back very quickly and I was like no 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 I didn't mean that I'm just like I'm really tired and I feel really sick yeah and I remember revising for my exam while I was in labour with her really yeah because I had an exam nine days after her 
But luckily for me, my waters broke at home and then nothing was happening. So I got to come home for another 24 hours. A bit more revising. Yeah, so I revised yeah. a little bit. I washed my hair. Nice. Shaved my legs. Nice. You know, the, just, I thought, oh, well, might as well prep. Did a bit of revision and then went back 24 hours later. They said, still nothing. And they said, so we're going to have to induce your labour, which had never happened. Again, I've had three completely yeah, different yeah. pregnancies, totally different labours. And they said, you're measuring very small. So I was measuring something like 32 and okay. so very small yeah. and they weren't sure why and, and they couldn't understand why she hadn't grown and they said she seems okay but you're measuring very small so it was a mystery right to the end and then I remember going in and they said right we're going to have to induce you I said so before you induce me could you perhaps give me an epidural mm. I said because if we're going to plan this let's just plan it so that I don't feel any pain whatsoever and they said yeah we can do that I was like okay let's do that then so I just sat there, no contractions, <laughs> epidural, and then they induced me and then labour happened and then she was born 20-something hours later. Right. And she was the biggest of all of my kids. No. 8.14. She was massive. I've never <laughs> seen anything like it. She was just huge. And I remember looking thinking, whoa, she, they told me that she'd be at most six pounds. No. Yeah. And she was, so funny how they can get it so wrong. Yeah, they can get it. I mean, that's why I just don't... I think nature and instinct, that's something that has happened long before time and doctors and mm. medical technology. So I just think... I don't take it all as gospel. Yeah. You know your own body and you can't predict what will happen to you and what won't happen. Yeah. So by that point, I'd given up trying to predict what's going to happen. It's whatever is there it has to come out. Let's just work it out. And so I remember she was born and she was £8.14 and nothing, not one stitch. I did. She no. didn't tear me. I didn't need an episiotomy. She was the easiest. And I remember having her and I said, weigh her fast because I need to know how much this child weighs. And she came in very slowly and very quietly into the world. There was very little drama when she was born. But, mm. I mean, she's making up for that now. <laughs> she's definitely making up for that now. Uh, you've been really open about your panic disorder. Yeah. How did you sort of, I guess you can't really manage it, but did you, were you experiencing that through pregnancy as well? I you still have panic like yeah. now, don't so you? So I've got panic disorder. and So I've had it since I was seven. Right. And, and it, I was diagnosed when I was 18. One thing that I do a lot to distract myself from the fact that I have panic disorder is distract myself. So mm. I will find other things to do. And that kind of manifests itself in... It could be cleaning the house or giving myself a project and saying, oh, well, I'll make this cake for this occasion. So I'll design it and I'll draw it and I'll get all the bits. And that's kind of that's how it manifested itself and baking. So whenever I had a couple of eggs left over, it's like, what recipe can I find where I can use these two <laughs> eggs? Because we didn't have very much. So we just kind of used what we had. And then, you know, in that process, I was kind of learning this new skill that I hadn't realized that I was honing in a, yeah. a decade later but I took use what I had and sometimes I look at the gas meter and think oh my goodness I haven't got any gas left so can I bake anything today probably not because I haven't got enough money to put the money in the gas meter mm -hmm. so I had to kind of really think about that stuff and I think that's where when real life happened somewhere I think my panic disorder got put back where I just kind of back of my head where it was still there and it would bubble up to the surface quite a lot but I had ways of managing it by distracting mm. myself so you know having the kids and then giving myself different projects like just things like today's the day 
that I'm going to use the most Zoflora in the house and I will just like Zoflora everything. It's right. just really weird kind of <laughs> projects that I would give myself. And I'm going to make lip balm today. I'm going to find the ingredients for a lip balm and that's what I'm going to make with like £2.50. So I would give myself projects. Another thing that was me distracting myself yeah. and cooking, you know, and making sure, like I would cook from scratch for the kids. I always have done. Those were my distractions. But really, I think it came to the fore when I had my little girl because at that point I was then juggling having three kids, living up north, having very little support in terms of looking after the kids. Mm. So I was on my own and my husband travelled a lot for work up until the point she was born. So he would go away and then come back and say, whoa, you got really pregnant suddenly. So he'd be gone for a few weeks and and we wouldn't see each other. So I was used to kind of holding the fort at home and if something needed decorating, I would do it. If something needed fixing, I would find ways of doing it on a very small budget. So I was always distracted by that. But I remember when she was born and she was about six weeks old and it all came to a head at that point because I'd suddenly had three very small kids, one that was going to full-time nursery, one that was going part-time, and then we had a baby and then I was kind of, managing myself and when I'd see snow I'm like well how am I supposed to get these three kids out in the snow and I remember my son's first day at nursery and I kind of carrying Mariam in my arms and it's like she's snow collecting up into a little hood because she couldn't move she was a baby so she had the snow just gathered in her hood and by the time I got her home she had like this melted snow all down her chest and this little cough and I was like oh no that was me I did that and and it was just like trying to juggle everything at the same time and looking after the house and then studying. So because I so desperately wanted to be more than just a mum, I wanted my kids to see me work. So Mm. there was that. And so I think it came to a head and I got to a point where I was having a panic attack every single day. Really? Every day. Up to this point, I was probably having a panic attack every few months. Mm -hmm. Part of having panic disorder is waiting for it to happen, is waiting for living in fear of that panic attack. Well, you almost get anxiety over the fact that you're going to have a panic attack. Yeah, so so you're, it's a never-ending circle. Yeah. So you have it and then you're like, OK, so I've had it now. Now I have to worry about the next time that I have it and what situation I'm going to be in and who's going to see me and how can I hide. Because when you, on the outside, look like you've got it together, you've got three kids and you're managing your husband and your home and dealing with all of that, then suddenly you say, oh, I've got panic disorder at the same time on the outside you'll appear weak and I think that's what I thought Is that what you found really difficult to like sort of telling people about it? I, I never spoke to anyone about it I mean to the point where I didn't even tell my husband that I had it till after we got married mm. and then he worked out that something wasn't right and then I said well I have panic disorder and he didn't know what that meant till really after we had kids and it started to manifested itself differently after having kids I was fainting more and I was passing out and um, Did it worry you about having the kids and, you know, if you're on your own with the kids and you had a panic attack? Yeah, well, what happened was when I know it's there, I could feel it bubbling away. And even now, when I know it's there, I have to... I mean, I last night was a real... Because today's my first kind of full day back out. Right. So I was really nervous about coming back out. There's that fear that you have to look perfect and, mm. and that scares me a little bit. And it, I, even just yesterday, it was bubbling away, but it used to bubble away and... I could feel it on the surface, but your mind and your body is a clever thing. And for some reason, I knew that I did not want to fall apart in front of the kids. So I would get them all to bed. And you know when they're like really small? Mm. 
you can tell them it's bedtime at six o'clock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, yep, it's bedtime. And they can't tell the time. So you're yeah. like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's bedtime. And then I had Eagle Piggle recorded like in the night garden. I used to, because it used to be the last thing that was on CBBS yeah. before bedtime. So I had, so I recorded <laughs> the recording him. Recording on. <laughs> I recorded him. And then I'd put him on. And, and then my son would say, I haven't got my pyjamas on. He'd run and get his pyjamas on. And he'd be like, okay. And he would sing the little song. And then he'd say, night, night. And then he'd go up to bed. But I knew that it was bubbling away on the surface. So I would get him up to bed. I hate that because when I... Just admitting that makes me sad because I know how how many hours I lost with my kids because of my panic disorder. Mm. Um, Because I didn't want them to see me that way. But what would have been the worst thing that would have happened if they had seen me? Like, they would have just seen mum vulnerable. And that's okay. It's okay to see mum not together all the time. Is that what encourages you to talk about it now so that other mums in that position don't lose those hours? Absolutely, because I, if I count the amount of hours I lost with my kids because I was so desperate for them not to see me fall apart, yeah. I can't get those hours back. You know, I'll never have those hours back where I put my kids away to bed knowing that they're happy and asleep in bed and I would sit there and crumble and fall apart and I don't even know why sometimes. I would just, I'd be a mess and I'd fall apart and I would feel like as a mum, I'd done the best thing by not letting them see me fall apart. Mm. And actually what I did wasn't a good thing. I don't think for me was a good thing because now I've had to explain panic disorder to my children. And I'm being completely honest in saying that my kids have seen me have a panic attack and they have seen me fall apart. But that's okay. Yeah. Mum does not have to be the strongest woman in the world. Mum mm-hmm. does not have to be a robot. Mum does not have to be perfect. Mum can be human. Mm-hmm. And I think we don't give ourselves enough credit to allow ourselves to be human. Yeah. And I think, I think I did a discredit to my children by not allowing them to see me as a human being. For such a long time, I operated like a robot. I wanted them to be perfect and I wanted their lives to be perfect and I wanted them to see the perfect mum. And actually, sometimes allowing yourself to... Let your kids see your imperfections means that they will be open. Now, when I'm having a panic attack and I know it's there, my older two are now old enough to understand. We have this code. I say, I'm on holiday, which means that I'm on my period. Right. So I'm feeling a little <laughs> bit cranky today. Holiday means I'm eating chocolate, I'm in my pyjamas, and we're chilling out. That's what we're doing. So I'm like, mummy's on holiday. And sometimes my 11-year-old come up to me and say, mummy, are you on holiday? because of the way I'm dressed, perhaps, or maybe right. just not doing very much around mm-hmm. the house. And I'm like, no. And he goes, you're not feeling happy today. And I was like, no. And he goes, right, so what can we do to make you happy? Mm. And so they'll do silly things to try and make me happy. But I always tell them, whenever I'm feeling really down and I'm not, I'm struggling, I always tell them that they make me happy. They are my happiness. Mm. They're not the reason. And I think sometimes, because a couple of times my son said, don't we make you happy? And I said, my panic disorder has got nothing to do with you. I'm sick. They're two very different things. You know, you make me happy. You're the reason why I'm still here today. You make me happy. That's why I'm here. But my panic disorder, I always explain to them that it's an illness. It's not me. Being sad is an illness. You can have, you know, mm. that, that, that's how it manifests itself. But sometimes I can't control how I feel. Sometimes I can't get out of bed. And, and they just... Sometimes if I'm in bed and I'm in bed a little bit longer than usual, they know maybe she's not having a good day and they will literally make a cup of tea, put it on the side, give me a kiss and just walk out. They know when it's right not to say something, but sometimes they know 
that they should say something. And I always say it's okay to say whatever you want. I'm never angry with you. It's just sometimes it's like if I have a headache, I want to sometimes have a paracetamol. So sometimes this you guys are my medicine. Yeah. So they do things to distract me. Other times they don't, but they understand it better. And they have seen me fall apart and they know mommy's not perfect. Mm. And that's that's really important. And I always, I, I remember my 11-year-old now, when he was four, he said, mommy, mans don't cry. And I said, no, mans do cry. Mm-hmm. Mans do cry. Who told you mans don't cry? And he said, this boy in nursery said that mans don't cry. I said, mans do cry. If you want to cry, you can cry. And now they cry whenever they're upset. And they we have this thing in our house. We have the step. So it's not the naughty step. No, no. It's the step at the top of our landing. And if you're feeling sad and sometimes you don't want to talk about it and you're not sure how to talk about it, you just sit on that step and somebody will come. And that's what we do now. So whenever I'm feeling a little bit sad and not feeling okay, I sit on the top of that step. Right. And they just know. They're like, mommy's just a little bit sad. And we just have a little a little huddle and we have a little chat. And we have had some of the best conversations on that landing because that's the place where you get to say, I'm not okay, but I can't say it out loud. And... That's what we do now. So whenever the kids are upset at the moment, like I've got my eldest is nearly a teenager. So he has moments where he he spends a lot of time on that landing, Mm. but he sits on the step and it's there for dad, too. So, you know, whenever he's feeling a little bit sad, he just sits there on the step and we just have this thing. And now because we said it's okay to not want to talk about something, but you have to tell us that you're not okay. So how do we talk about it without talking about it? And so we use the step. It's amazing that you found a way of opening up such huge conversations Mm. when in your culture, certain conversations just aren't had. No. Is that a real conscious thing? You want to be able to talk about emotion, about what's going on mentally, anything that's going on, just have that conversation out there? It's a constant battle because I'm, I feel like I'm always swimming against the tide. Right. Um, growing up in the culture that I did, you know, there, there are certain things, there's a massive... It's respect, but it's slightly misplaced. It's like respect... I kind of don't like that word because there's a mutual respect, but there's respect for the sake of respect. And I think that word is used wrong. Um, Mm. And I think things like not talking about your periods, not talking about sex, not talking about being pregnant, even down to things like you can't even say your husband's name. You can't say your husband's (laughs) name. Like to this day in front of my elders, I would never use my husband's name. Whereas it feels like you have so much respect for your kids that, you want that openness. It's mutual. And yeah. I think there's a difference between a hierarchy and just saying, actually, I do respect my kids. And because I always, for me, they are kids and I'm raising them. And I always remind them, remember who pays the bills? <laughs> um, but we're a team. And we always call ourselves that. We say we're a team because if you ask my eight-year-old what's her favourite job to do in the house, she'll tell you it's to clean the toilets. Really? Yeah. And they all have jobs in your house, don't they? Yeah, well, it's. I always say that this is our home. Because it's a home doesn't mean we don't respect this home. This is yeah. our house. We live in it and we love it. This is our safe place. This is the only place in the world that we're going to feel safe. It's the only place I feel safe. It's the only place my kids will ever feel safe. And that's what home is about. Home mm. is the place where you kick your shoes back and say, this is mine. And this is theirs and it's mine and we share it. And so they have jobs in the house. And, you know, when we have dinner, we all put dinner on the table. I cook it 
my husband's an awful cook. So, really? You know, oh, God, no. I can imagine food being really important in your house as well. Yeah, we just, like, the kids are great cooks. Like, if I need something cooking, I just go to the kids and I just, I just put a post-it note and they come back from school and they'll cook dinner. No! Yeah, yeah, so my eldest can do, like, a bolognese or a pesto or something quick. Yeah. Um, he could do a mean chicken curry. He could really? do a really good chicken curry, yeah. So if I just put a post-it note and say, could you just cook this, he will just cook it up. They tidy their own beds, you know, they, they have... I've even to the point where I've given them plants in their bedrooms and if their plants die, you know, that's their responsibility to keep that plant alive. And we have way more plants than we need now, but they <laughs> but they keep, that's their responsibility. Yeah. You know, my daughter is the electricity monitor and she makes sure every plug is switched off and makes sure every light is switched off. And she said to me, I have a flickering last night, this is the best. She said, Mum, I have a flickering light to report. <laughs> <laughs> There was a flickering light in her bedroom. And she goes, Mummy, I have a flickering light to report. I was like, well, we better get on that then. Come on. And so she's the electricity monitor in the house. And my second son is the water monitor. So he makes sure nobody is brushing their teeth and leaving the tap running. Yeah. Uh, and and he makes sure that nobody has too many baths. Nice. So I always yeah. have a bath when he's in bed. <laughs> like, Mummy, you can't be having too many baths. Um but it's a mutual respect for each other and, and our home, and I think that's really important. It's not not necessarily something that I grew up with. It was definitely a respect for the person at the top and, and the hierarchy. Yeah. And when you're three of six, you don't get much respect, no. is all I'm saying. You just don't, because you're number three and you're somewhere in the middle. But, yeah, we have to respect each other, and I think, you know, especially because I've got two boys, they're very protective of their sister, and they just say, we're going to protect you. And I said, look, protect each other. There's a difference. I don't think that just because you're older than her and that you're a boy that you should be protecting her I think you need to remember that she will protect you too yeah, you need yeah. to protect each other forget the fact that you're a boy and that you're older so it's nice because actually I grew up with you must have a boy at the beginning of the family because they're the ones that are going to protect you and actually it's not like that in our no. house because we all kind of protect each other because I use my kids for protection you know they are my safe place they're my comfort blankets and occasionally I come away from it and I realize how much I depend on them to feel comfortable and vice versa so it just sounds like you're doing such an amazing job that I literally feel that like I could take things that you do away and try them in my house like I, I and and you know we speak to a lot of people on here yeah and I just think some of your ways of doing stuff are just absolutely beautiful so we finished every podcast episode yep. with you finishing three sentences okay it's very simple okay being a mum means oh being a mum means does anybody ever give you like one simps like no, no never <laughs> uh, I think I have had everything once just just really that. yeah 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 oh um <laughs> Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, God, I don't know. What does being a mum mean? Oh, my God, it means you've got every member. Being a mum means that you've got enough players for a really good board game. <laughs> Very true. I love a good board game. <laughs> you can't just do it with you and your husband, can you? No, it is no, hard. It's it difficult. is really hard. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, since having children, I play more board games. <laughs> yeah. so, since having children, I... Um, I haven't slept very well. <laughs> I'd like to sleep one day. That would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be really, really good. I think it's because yeah. you, you're doing what I do, though, where you put the kids to bed and then you start doing all your work. Yeah, and then you go up like 15 times to check they're alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then wake them up. And I'm like, why have I just done this to myself? Um, but I think since being a mum, I think I've found my calling. And I'm happy when? Oh, well, I'm happy when? When I've got fluffy socks on and the kids are in bed. 
That's when I'm happy. Beautiful. Yay. Thank you so much for coming on and being a lovely guest. Thank you very much.